Hi, this is Robert Fleming, one of the partners at Fleming & Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm, and, um, and you're listening to Elder Law Issues, which is our weekly podcast. I'm sitting here with one of the other partners at Fleming & Curdy, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. Uh, Elizabeth, we act as fiduciary a lot, as you know. We act as conservator or trustee or even agent under a power of attorney, occasionally as guardian of the person. As a consequence, we have a lot of payrolls set up. We do we hire a lot of uh, employees to take care of people, mostly in their own homes, though sometimes in other settings. Robert, when you say employees, you mean household staff, right? Not not just Fleming and Curdy employees. Correct. They work for the individuals whose whose affairs we manage. And and I thought maybe today we could talk a little bit about uh, some of the most complain, common problems people have with hiring employees, other than finding somebody who will actually come to work and and be reliable and and uh, do it all at a reasonable rate. I'm talking about the the payroll problems. Well, Robert, one of the first things that I would say on this topic is oftentimes people don't see payroll as a problem. They've just been paying their gardener uh, in cash for years, and it just turns out that the gardener is now providing transportation services and help with grocery shopping and also help just around the house with some basic caregiving. And what was once a you know $100 gardening uh, job every month has now turned into $1,500 of distributed funds for um, for thanks and also for the work of the gardener doing other stuff. I make that kind of um, description just based on some of what we see very often, which is a wonderful person who has been providing some kind of service to the family. It doesn't have to be a gardener. It could be a housekeeper. It could be a friendly neighbor from next door. It could be somebody like your granddaughter's friend who has been helping get the newspaper when you're out of town. These relationships are important, and over time, sometimes folks start to play a bigger role. And we talk we talk to our clients, and when we work in households as a fiduciary, we have an open, open mind but also a keen eye deciding when it's time to put somebody onto payroll, when it's really no longer appropriate to be paying somebody in cash for all of the services they're performing. And it's key to note that that's not a dollar amount. It's not when you get to $250 a month or $500. That's when you have to put them on payroll. It's really a question of whether somebody is an independent contractor or not. Most caregivers think of themselves as independent contractors, Families very often think that the caretakers are independent contractors, but Elizabeth, as you and I know, they almost never are independent contractors. And Robert, when you say independent contractors, one of the first thing that comes to my mind is a 1099. Yep. So if you're an, if they're an independent contractor, if if somebody legitimately is an independent contractor, you don't have to do all the withholding and and uh, payroll things, but you do still have to give them uh, some sort of tax notice that they received money, and that's usually a 1099. But Robert, do you, does that mean you also get workers' comp if there's an injury in the home? Does that not, come with the 1099? If it was possible to have somebody be an independent contractor, they would not be covered under workers' compensation or unemployment insurance or any of those other things. They wouldn't be entitled to any benefits, even if you had a benefit structure for other employees. But it's a little bit of a shell game, Elizabeth, as you know, because almost nobody is legitimately an independent contractor. This test for being an independent contractor requires you to 
uh, you, the independent contractor, to set your own hours, to have your own uh, supervision, your own work duties, uh, provide your own tools, although not one of those things is a magic test. Together, they determine whether somebody's an independent contractor. And if you hire somebody to come in from eight to four, five days a week to take care of your mother, they are not an independent contractor because you just made them an employee by saying eight to four. And Robert, one thing that I want people to to hear from this conversation and to consider is that if you have somebody who has been helping your household for a long time, there's often deep personal relationships there that are all around positive. And there's often a fear about talking to somebody about becoming an employee and getting a W-2 and declaring their wages. Well, Robert, what we try and tell people is we're here to have conversations and provide information. Oftentimes, somebody who may be providing services to a house says that they have to be paid in cash because they're getting some kind of public benefit. Well, we welcome those conversations. Let's figure out how we can get that household employee eligible for those benefits and also be able to see how they can be compensated for their time in the house. So, Robert, we do see that the issue around compensation and uh, wages and the W-2 oftentimes is just the tip of the iceberg for other reasons of concern, both for the family and for the household employee. I also tell people, you know, you'd feel terrible if while getting some help from your housekeeper and getting to the bathroom, she slipped and you slipped and you both hurt yourselves, you'd feel terrible. And you know, the thing is, is that you'd want to be able to make sure that the person who's providing care was well taken care of and could go to the doctor and could get assistance. Well, if you don't have any kind of workers comp, you're all of a sudden really limiting the ways in which you can protect somebody in the event of an accident. You know, all of that is true, and I completely agree, Elizabeth. Um, and uh, and you do just need to do it the right way uh, when you're handling somebody else's money. A key element of this is it's not a choice. It's not, I think I will treat this person as an independent contractor, and the next person says, I think I will treat this person as an employee. They just are employees. And when we act as fiduciary, we're very cautious. We make sure that people are treated as employees when they are employees. Yes, that may mean that they no longer receive their disability benefits, or maybe their disability benefits are not sensitive to those wages. Maybe they're surprised to find out they can have a job with some modest amount of earnings without losing their disability benefits. A key element of that, though, is that if people can earn a living, they're not disabled. It's not that you actually earn a living that knocks you off of disability. It's your ability to earn a living. So if you could be paid as an employee and do the work, then uh, then you're not eligible for the disability benefit. Um, And whether or not we treat you as an employee doesn't change that reality. The other thing is that many people are frustrated and unhappy about having their, their paychecks reduced by their Social Security contributions and their taxes. But guess what? They're getting a benefit from those, particularly the Social Security contributions as well. And, uh, and, and so it's getting them into the system and treating them regularly. 
And Robert, sometimes people say, well, does this mean that I, I can't give I can't give him an annual Christmas gift anymore. No, no. A wonderful payroll service is going to let you add on however much you want to for a holiday gift or a birthday gift or something like that. Um, so, you know, they're not mutually exclusive here, but it is a way to track the compensation and also make sure that gifts get to the person and, and into their account. I think that folks often also feel concerned about the paperwork involved. Well, Robert, both you and I know that folks in these different payroll agencies deal with this paperwork all of the time and in fact can answer those questions pretty quickly. So I tell people that when you're completing the payroll packet and when you're doing the drug test and all the other things that we may require as part of the household caregiving team, remember you're doing work. That's that's part of what we're asking you to do is to complete these things so that you can remain a member of the household staff. And then people kind of realize that we're really talking to them and treating them like like employees because they're doing work. That's It's so important, Robert. And it's also important for people to know that folks should be paid overtime if they're working overtime. And that if you have a payroll for your household, you can also have things like vacation days and sick days. And so there are actually ways that you can have other benefits for the household staff, for somebody who goes on to payroll that you may not have had otherwise. You know, we try to keep these podcasts down to about five to 10 minutes, so so they're digestible bites. And I'm gonna ask a question that will threaten to blow that up and make this a 25 minute podcast. But Elizabeth, if, you, if you're worried about paying somebody overtime, can't you just put them on salary and avoid the overtime? Robert, my brain is about to explode. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sitting too close for that. Well, I will tell you, there are a lot of different rules that the Department of Labor has when we look at what is an exempt employee and what is a non-exempt employee. We start with the language around what is required for somebody to be considered an exempt employee and then what is required in order to classify somebody as a non-exempt employee that's the threshold question robert before we can ever talk about salary you know and listeners will note that i asked about salary and you answered about exempt and that's a key thing that people have to understand they're different you can put a regular salaried employee i'm sorry you can you can put a regular pay, uh, employee on salary that's fine you can say i'm going to pay you x dollars per month for the 40 hours you work but a salaried employee who works 60 hours has to be paid overtime for the extra 20 hours an, an exempt employee may or may not be salaried but uh, but they have to be management and they have to be at a, a pay level that uh, that qualifies them to be exempt and you can't abuse those exempt employees you can't tell them they have to work 80 hours even if you could somehow manage to make a caregiver an exempt employee that's correct robert and these are questions that oftentimes your cpa may not be able to answer and a knowledgeable payroll company will be able to answer in a heartbeat so this is something important for people listening today absolutely talk to your accountant your cpa your tax team your attorney talk to all of us about what household staff you have or you think you have but ultimately we're going to refer you to one of a handful of payroll services that we like to work with and we're going to tell you ask them yeah they actually know this stuff i have one more question uh, that won't be quite that complex elizabeth in passing you said 
if you if you want to, you can give holiday bonuses or uh, bonus payments to employees. But if you're accounting to the court, if you're a conservator or a trustee or some other fiduciary, you can't just hand money out, can you? You can't hand money out willy-nilly, Robert, no. But you can plan ahead, and trustees should be looking at the provisions and their powers as trustee. And somebody who's an agent under a durable financial power of attorney may want to look at provisions in that document regarding gifts. Oftentimes, the governing documents may have provisions around what the fiduciary can and can't do with gifts. When it comes to court oversight, what I will tell you is every case is a little bit different. If we have routinely given a gift in a case where we are conservator, that means that the court sees this in the annual accounting, and it is actually described as a holiday gift. It's not described as an extra payment. It's up to the court at that point to consider whether or not to approve the accounting. So when we have that extra level of oversight, I welcome it, and everybody who is a fiduciary should welcome it because ultimately what you want to do is you want to make everybody comfortable that there's transparency in the engagement. That's not only the household employee, but that is the principal who you are helping. That is the grantor who established the trust. It's real important to slow down and consider the importance of transparency, and that's particularly true when it comes to gifts. All right, enough about employees and payroll, and uh, we, we can't stress too much the importance of talking to a payroll service about taking a lot of this burden off of you if you have employees in a trust that, or conservatorship or power of attorney that you're managing. Uh, payroll services are often our very best friends. And we, in that sentence, are Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm and Fiduciary. We act as fiduciary and, and handle these payroll questions pretty often. I'm Robert Fleming. I'm one of the partners at that firm. The other person whose voice you've been listening to is Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. You're listening to Elder Law Issues, and we do this every week. We hope you will join us again next week. Thanks.